Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Okay, let me get this bed ready for you. Just grab hold of this wooden slat here and pull down. With Bay Area housing the way it is, many of us are on the lookout for ways to save space and maximize the usefulness of every overpriced square foot that we've got to work with. Maybe you've even considered a Murphy bed. You know, those beds that fold up into a cabinet or wall when you're not using them. It's it's on a really nice uh, weight, so it comes down really easily. Sandra Schwartz, mother to Bay Curious producer Katrina Schwartz, put a Murphy bed in the office of their San Francisco home so they would have one more spot to stash guests without giving up a whole room to it. Okay, crawl in, get cozy, and say goodnight. Well, here's a fun fact. The Murphy bed first sprang up, or maybe it's sprang out, in San Francisco. Today on the show, a history lesson that won't put you to sleep. Plus, later, we'll revisit one of the most played Bay Curious episodes of all time about the Flintstone House in Hillsborough. You know the one. It's visible from 280. We sat down with the architect to get his take on his controversial design all these years later. You're listening to Bay Curious. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Murphy beds were not the first hideaway beds out there. Bay Curious producer Katrina Schwartz picks up the story from here. That's right. Thomas Jefferson had a thing for tucking beds out of sight. He used to hang beds in alcoves from ropes and hooks in his famous Monticello home. But the Murphy bed and the way it folded, that was the creation of a man with the last name Murphy. First name, William. Middle name, Lawrence. Here's the story as best we can piece it together. Before William Lawrence Murphy made his money in the bedroom, he was a country boy. He was the oldest of six kids and grew up on a farm near Stockton. 
His parents died when he was 18, and his farmhouse burned down soon after. Murphy worked to support his younger siblings with a string of colorful jobs. He trained horses, operated a stagecoach, managed a football team, and was even a small-town sheriff. While he was living the country life, he met a young opera singer from San Francisco vacationing in the country. A romance blossomed. She wanted to be sure he could handle city living. So Murphy moved to a studio apartment at 625 Bush Street, a block from San Francisco's Chinatown and two blocks from Union Square. He wasn't accustomed to such small lodgings, so he started tinkering with inventions to save space. Family legend goes that Murphy wanted to entertain the soprano he was crushing on at his home. But at the turn of the 20th century, women didn't go into men's bedrooms. A problem for Murphy, who really only had a bedroom. And so, as the story goes, Murphy put his inventing skills to use, designing a bed that attached to the door jamb of his closet and folded into it. Just like that, the bedroom becomes a parlor. And his disappearing bed seemed to do the trick. He married the opera singer in 1912, but not before he patented his in-a-door bed idea. He founded the Murphy Bed Door Company in San Francisco, although he soon moved it to New York City, another town with tiny apartments. Through the 1920s, newspaper advertisements for apartments used the Murphy Bed as a selling point. In the years since its invention, the folding bed has become a cultural icon. It made comedic guest appearances alongside Charlie Chaplin and was featured in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And in Family Guy. He's more fun than an Eddie Murphy bed. Check this out. Did getting into these movies mean everyone wanted a Murphy bed? For a little while, yeah. Murphy sold the most beds in 1925, but they started to fall out of fashion after World War II. Although, the Murphy bed has had some comeback moments when people needed more space. And folks have come up with some pretty wacky stuff. The Brooklyn Museum has a Murphy bed built into a piano. Mmm, that's fun. That's what happens when your product becomes iconic, Olivia. I have to say, I've slept in that Murphy bed at my parents' house, and it's pretty comfortable. Well, that's all that really matters. Producer Katrina Schwartz, thanks. Thanks, Olivia. Now we pivot from the design of a bed to the design of a whole house. We first visited this place a few years ago in a Bay Curious episode that remains one of our most popular of all time. If you missed it, we'll link to it in our show notes so you can go listen. Now, back when we did that story, the architect who designed this controversial house wasn't available. So when KQED's Rachel Myro got the chance to talk to him, we pounced. Nick Nicholson has mixed feelings about his creation. Not the fact the Flintstone house is wacky. That he loves. Now, why shouldn't a house be fun? I mean, that's fantastic. Also, he loves that people notice it. That so many people drive by, and at least subconsciously, 
realize that, hey, there's something other than a box. The Flintstone House, a bizarre tubular collection that wouldn't look out of place underwater in a coral reef. It was part of a young architect's vision of getting out of ticky-tacky boxes in the 1970s. I'd built the first house out in uh, Apple Valley. Wait, what? The first one? It turns out Nicholson built four distinctly different but similarly wacky houses in that nonconformist era when you could convince home builders to try something off the beaten path. The last one I built in uh, Palm Springs. That one looks like something from one of those iconic Greek island villages you see in travel posters. Yeah, this is the Santorini because it's kind of like the Greek island Santorini. Similarly tubular, but in a different way from the Flintstone house. You know, I was going to revolutionize architecture when I got out of school, and I didn't. You didn't? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, people like the place, especially once they get inside, but nobody bought them. And so I felt like such a failure. Well, he's no failure with Bay Curious listeners. We keep revisiting this place because, love it or hate it, the Flintstone house is fascinating. It upends your expectations of what a house should be. The first time I walked in, I remember being totally surprised because I was sure it would be dark and cave-like on the inside, and instead... It's almost like being on the the inside of cotton candy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great... I've never heard that before. Yeah. May I use that? (laughs) We retired to the lounge, a circular room that looks out over 280, and then just kind of lean back and stare at the goofy chandelier with bendable arms. Nicholson says he was loosely inspired by the expansive feel on the inside of the domes of the Blue Mosque in Istanbul. I had this idea of blowing up balloons, and then I had developed a material that was plaster and had a fiberglass in and there was this uh, machine that you could spray that on and it would hydrate it at the nozzle so you spray it on dry and so I would spray these balloons and then let the air out of the balloons and you'd have this dome structure. This method frees an architect from the box. The ceilings are high especially in the lounge, padded with custom-made cushions and pillows, you feel like you're hanging out on the inside of a genie's lamp, as somebody might conceive it in the late 1960s or early 70s. Rachel, you've seen this house now under two different owners. Is this the kind of place that you can kind of make your own, given that it's got such a strong personality to start with? You know, that's a great question. When I first toured this house, it looked like something SpongeBob SquarePants' sophisticated cousin might live in. Very biomorphic, you might say, almost aquatic. The current owner, Florence Fang, is pursuing a more cartoonish aesthetic, consciously inspired by the nickname Flintstone House. And Nicholson tells me she's told him strangers who love the house send her all kinds of funny stuff for free, stuff they think fits her aesthetic. So right now it's kind of a crowdsourced pop art gallery. Sounds like people have got a sense of collective ownership almost. Exactly. It's evolved over the years, but remains an iconic landmark on the peninsula. And it does just what Nicholson hoped it would do. It sparks people's imagination. That was KQED's Rachel Myro. 
We've got photos online from Rachel's last trip inside the Flintstone house. Head to baitcurious.org to check them out. Today's episode was produced by Katrina Schwartz, Rob Spate, and me, Olivia Allen Price. Big Curious is made in San Francisco at member-supported KQED. Thanks for listening. Hi, Big Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just... What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.